You are listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. I'm Graham Brown, your host. In this series, we feature the GIIS community of teachers, parents, students, and thought leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping learning in the 21st century. So welcome to the podcast. My name is Graham Brown, joined in the studio here, the beautiful studio here by Atul Tamanaka. Atul, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. And we're going to have a, a free ranging conversation today about education and school and subjects you're very much passionate about. A little bit of background first, you're the co-founder and executive chairman at Global Schools Foundation here. And we're going to talk about, well, some of the big issues that are affecting education today. Rolling off some data, 20% of the jobs today won't exist in 2030. That's some World Economic Forum data. So we have to talk about some of the key skills that we need to teach and learn today. Creativity, persuasion, collaboration, adaptability, subjects I know that are close to your heart as well. And this is a podcast for parents, partners, educators, students. It's an inclusive podcast for everybody. We are going to talk about everything from those skills to data, smart education. And maybe kicking off, I can introduce a quote and ask you to maybe share your vision, not just for the school here, but for education in general, for the 21st century, apt for the 21st century, as we head into a new decade. Peter Drucker, the management guru, said that the only skill we'll need to teach in the 21st century is the ability to learn new skills. What does that mean for educators today? Well, I think that's a very universal and very adapt uh, line that is very highly applicable today. Um, If you look at the past few decades, if you look at how things are transforming, uh, there is a great deal of you know, the basic skills that are universal in nature. I mean, communication is a great uh, skill that is required even today, and mm-hmm. it's more so important going forward. But I think there are there are skills that are, that are always changing with the way your environment changes, with the way your life changes, um, and with the way the digital becomes a more persuasive uh, kind of, uh, you know, penetrating in your lives. So today, I think what educators and educationists and even industrialists are really trying to scratch their heads about is what do I teach these kids who are, you know, five to 18 year olds Mm. who are going to be coming to the industry. Frankly, if you ask, for example, the, the CEO of Mercedes-Benz and you tell him what kind of car you expect 10 years down the line, I can bet you the answer is he has no idea. I think this basically it means that it's going to be uncertain. That's for sure. But going forward, how do you deal with this uncertainty? How do you make sure that kids are able to take the challenges of these uncertainties and therefore be able to create solutions or services or whatever be it uh, for themselves or for their organizations is going to be very key because the gone are the days where you could simply say, oh, I know Microsoft Office, I know a few programming languages, I know how to brew oil out of crude, but those days are gone now. Mm. You know, oil is going to be perishing going forward or rather diminishing from our lives. So 
there's uh, the way the chemical engineers used to think uh, old days not the same again uh whether it is engineers lawyers doctors be it you know creative designers everybody is going to be changing the way it is i think the simplest and coolest way to do is really to be able to take up a challenge and say look we'll find a solution to it right so i think that's what can do attitude absolutely everything is possible that's uh, the spirit that we want to really imbibe with our students yeah in the business world they call it agile agile thinking it's that adaptability that resilience that they have to teach people which traditionally we haven't taught kids those because of all the reasons that you said at all that you were trained in a skill and you knew when you graduated that skill would look after you for a generation you would be okay until you retired like you say extracting crude using this process but that's all changing isn't it and in a way you came from that world as well and now we're seeing this may be the first generation of kids coming through now where they have to change and the the teachers and the parents have to change how they think about that as well now if i can just put this into context yourself you came from a very traditional if i may say that indian family with indian right. values your your dad was an engineer and your your mom was a doctor so you don't get more indian than that when when they brought you up their world was very different i imagine and how was it different when they were educated to what people now need to know at school so i think the um if you go a few decades back um and india was a place where it was things were very different than west of the world etc um but i think if you look at their lives and how they looked at education they probably felt that you need to be educated in a stream that can give you some sort of steady income uh be able to make you employable you know marriageable and, uh, and and settle down in your life you know and like i remember my dad saying i'm just moment i was out of college he said you know why don't you just join this particular government of india enterprise and you know by this year you will be so and so you will have so many square meters house and blah 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 and i said look you know i really don't uh, want to go into those kind of things because it really would not take my mm. potential out um so if you look at their times and our times are dramatically different uh today we're talking about vocational skills careers and options even the ideas of business being dramatically different than what used to exist that time and i think what's happening with the people going around is really that the agility aspect has become extremely important be it businesses be it companies ceos executives um doctors hospitals you name it everybody has got to be extremely agile i mean even if you go and see a normal general practitioner doctor today uh i would not be surprised and you know even being so learned in the field of whatever he's doing in the medicine he still goes back to the internet and you know he'll sometimes he'll show me you know what atul this is what happens and if these are the other possibilities blah 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 now one time sometimes you think why is a doctor really referring to an article on the internet he could simply say you know this is it this is your symptom yeah. here's your paracetamol and you know get lost but i think they are beginning to see how you correspond to the uh, to the patients how do you really buy the mindset of the patients how do you make them more aware about it so the jobs 
are getting slightly the job scopes are the same but the way you deliver the jobs is changing mm. and this applies to again most of the industry sectors where communication again is becoming extremely important you speak to a lawyer he will give you a very very detailed uh, version of what he thinks uh, you speak to an engineer you speak to construction you speak to aerospace whatever it is there is a communication which is now undeniably the single most component in your life yeah. And I know you're very passionate about communication and you're keen for the, the students here to learn those communications and get very practical, hands-on communications. And we were sitting here in a studio where they learn how to communicate and tell stories. And you make a very valid point as well. You mentioned doctors, you meant, mentioned accountants and lawyers. And I suppose everybody now is talking about the fourth industrial revolution and the advent of machines and AI and data and really, if your job is reliant on analyzing patterns, spreadsheets, then at some point, a machine's going to do it better. You know, at some point, a machine will analyze those scans of, you know, uh, the, the doctor's imaging scans that they use to diagnose patients, and a machine will be able to do that better. So what do we teach those doctors and lawyers? What kind of skills do we teach them? And this is a new territory, isn't it? That... If somebody's going to be involved fundamentally in, in improving somebody's lives or helping them or advising them as a lawyer or an accountant, it's not going to be spreadsheets. It's not going to be pattern recognition. It's this new area of communication and resilience and agility and so on. But what is that? What does that future look like for all these professionals? And I'm sure the parents of these schools as well want their kids to go out into the world and have these professional jobs. But what skills do we need to teach them? So if you uh, look at the great confusion that has been created around artificial intelligence, um, I think there is uh, some quarters of the of the world thinks AI is going to replace people. So firstly, I think, I believe personally, uh, AI is not going to replace people. People are going to continue in the, what they are doing. AI, like big data, uh, data analytics, is essentially going to make your communication far more precise, your actions far more precise. Now, I'm not comparing uh, artificial intelligence robo, you know, welcoming in a hotel compared to what we are doing. Uh, certainly, those things are going to help in the automation of the processes, be it a manufacturing or a hospitality space or hospitals. And it is going to make the redundant jobs being done very easily and, and in a very, very precise manner. Now, when it comes to the doctors or the lawyers or the engineers or, or the professionals, the people are going to use these AI things to make their interventions or their quality of work far more value-added. Mm. So for me, it's not really a job to be done to take from A, go to destination B, and in the process, I do something. It's going to be like, I use AI, but then I decide if I were to take off from point A and go to destination B, but if I calculate my velocity at this point, then I might burn the minimum uh, you know, energy uh, in, in the transit. Or likewise, let me take an example of a teacher or a learning environment in a school, or be it a college or wherever. Is the AI or the big data that we realize can really add a tremendous value to what the teachers are doing towards teaching and how students are learning and, and 
what what is the quantum of their learning outcomes mm. so to put it in a very simple language uh, let's assume i have to sit in a great a class and i need to learn through some particular aspect of let's say velocity and acceleration and in the old traditional days versus the new the difference is in the old days i may have to imagine part of it i may have to listen to what the teachers are saying and i may have to discuss with my peers to be able to get to a clarity level or i may just be able to read through and manage that but today the options are i can look at a um uh i can look at a animated sequence to see you know 2d world 3d world uh i can even look at uh, podcasts i can look at uh, films available on uh, channels and i will be able to do the same which other colleagues used to do in the old days but i will learn the concept of velocity and acceleration in a much more faster manner mm. this is where the data is making a big difference we separate the data and the content so let's not mix it up content is what is used in the process of learning the big data or data analytics as we have taken up very strongly refers to a way in which a particular teacher were to go about teaching all the students so for example you have a class of let's say 25 kids um all of them unique every single person is unique and the biggest challenge in the old days the teachers had was how do i make sure when i teach something everybody understands there's no way you can make everybody understand there's no way you can make anybody um you know extremely great about it and you will always have some students who are either not getting the concept or they're not able to pick it up from the teacher and vice versa so today what is happening is with the use of big data and data analytics we have created a platform within which is not visible to the student but the teachers are able to see a lot of things in the background this is a background performance of a child over the last couple of weeks or months or years uh is there uh strengths and weaknesses that might emerge out of the patterns that are available to teachers right now on their ipads mm. is the ability for the teacher to be able to communicate a customized tailored solution or a tailored intervention to let's say a child x where the te- teacher knows that these are the issues that a child has she's got whole performance track record she's got predictability scores uh she has uh the, you know completely uh the the whole profile of the child is available to her on ipad so what she can do is she can say hey john i think you got to work on these areas this is your strength you can now focus on these aspects and pr- perhaps it can amplify your strengths or these are the aspects in which you need to do a bit of improvements go and do these kind of extra works etc so combination of big data allows us the teacher to be able to create a effective meaningful learning for the child faster tracked qualitative and more importantly outcome based mm. it's not like i say oh i understood and i can tell you when you go into a class half the kids will say yes i understood but they won't understand but here it is at a child's own pace he he or she can really make sure that what they're supposed to achieve they achieve mm-hmm. so there's a lot of focus away from rote learning which you know asia has always scripted about and and there's a big focus on application of what you learn so if i learn a concept i need to now apply it to something that's how international schools international syllabuses have always worked on and i think the use of big data for us is like our dna we believe using this and to create customized tailored solution for every child 
allows he or she to be able to give the best and optimal performance that they ought to give. Yeah. How, how does that actually change behavior and learning when you give data to teachers? I'm sure what they think it's going to be and what the outcomes are sometimes quite different, even challenging their assumptions, even your own maybe, that you've learned things about behaviors. Now that people have this data, they can do different things with it and they can apply learning in different ways. What have you seen change now that you've given these tools to teachers and the students as well, I guess? What's happening? I, I think the, the biggest benefit that has now come to the students is the fact that teachers have uh, far more precise information about what they're discussing. So uh, a teacher would not really be able to uh, go into a very high level, 36,000 feet kind of a scenario, but she's able to, with every child, work in detail, mm -hmm. offline, online, within school hours, after school hours. And, and nowadays we find teachers are really connected 24 by 7. I mean, not literally, but there are students who are like sending WhatsApp messages to teachers in the evening. Teachers are able to respond back to them. And, and we have a complete ecosystem where we allow this to be done in a controlled way. But I think students are able to see that teachers are able to talk sense which they want to understand. It's in their language, mm. at their speed, at their pace. And more importantly, by having this kind of an approach, the students are able to show consistent performance improvements. Now, consistent performance improvements does not mean always you are performing better, but better in relative to your past performance, better in related to your last year performance. And even if, let's say, there are various scenarios can be possible, but what the parents do see is that, look, I think my child is happy. I think my child is getting it right. Okay, fine. I may have to supplement it with a few extra grade and remedial classes, etc. But there is there's a great deal of involvement that a child is being able to see. Uh, he or she is not really staying aloof from this entire experiment that you know you've got to learn maths 24 hours and you know keep doing the same things and it's very boring. So I think the boring aspect is reducing. Mm. The engaging aspect is increasing, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, you, you mentioned happiness as well. I mean, this as a concept, if we go back 50 years in education, it didn't exist. I don't think it was necessary part of the curriculum. I mean, how do you, in, this is globally, I mean, in all traditional educations, my education, your education, now people are starting to talk about happiness in the workplace, fulfillment. And it's not just for the students, it's for the teachers as well, I suppose. How do you measure that? I know you're very passionate about data. Can you measure happiness or is it a byproduct of using all this data? So uh, we did something very interesting uh, a couple of years back. Um, we realized that uh, there were questions constantly asked is that, oh, my child is very happy, but we said, how do you really measure happiness? So we looked at a couple of models of happiness uh, around the world, including from Bhutan. Uh, and we realized that, hey, there is a scientific way in which you can measure happiness. So we constituted an annual happiness index which allows the students to be able to, you know, respond to certain questions or you can call it a poll. And based on the poll that you can then derive and you can analyze, is there an efficiency in, in what they have? Is there uh, the happiness quotient really going up for a child? And you can every class, you can have a spread, a buffet of different type of results. You know, some people are not happy. They've not done well in the, in the last exams. So or some people are happy. They've done very well in sports. So we said, how do you normalize it? So I think that model 
and the scientific way in which we are able to measure was something for which we won one of the international awards for education excellence. But then we continue to do that. So we continue to measure happiness in our schools in every grade, every class. Going forward at intervals, sometimes it doesn't have to be every year, sometimes we do that. But this gives us a lot of application of, you know, if ultimately, it's like there's a great president of India called Dr. Abdul Kalam. And he he was once at a very large conference which had some of the richest people in the world. And he asked the people, he said, Hey guys, how many people have are you are you how many of you are rich? You know, and he defined the rich as income beyond this. And everybody, like 99% raised hands. And then he said, How many of you are happy? Sincerely, you tell me. How many of you are happy? Not even 2% of the hands went up. Mm. So this is what he explained. He said, look, ultimately, whether it's money, knowledge, power, if you are not going to be happy about it, you're not making make a sense of your life. So happiness is something that you know came out of that conversation. And mm. I was part of that uh, audience and I was watching that conversation. It did strike me that, look, ultimately, it's the happiness which is your ultimate goal, whatever you do. Okay, so I think that's where we re realized that we need to do a happiness quotient analysis. We got some experts together. We created our own model to measure it. And I think that's been doing very good. And that's that's the results that we see in each of our students, that people who come to this campus and GIS campuses are generally very happy. Yeah, pioneering. And I, I imagine there must be people who, I mean, people love the fact that you're actually measuring it here. But I don't think everybody moves at the same speed. So some people require a bit more coaxing with the idea of happiness. There must be people out there, and I'll play devil, devil's advocate here, if I may at all, is that how will happiness help my child get into the best schools? Is, is there sort of tangible benefit? Or is it really, okay, the ha you, as you say, it's the goal of goals. Therefore, this is what's more important. I imagine there still must be people who are thinking, well, that's great, but maybe after graduation or maybe after he's got into, you know, the best, like these these companies that we mentioned before, you know, that will look after you for life. How do we convince those people that happiness is going to help them in their education or their child's education? So a couple of things. Uh, happiness, number one, uh, changes your entire mindset. Uh, you know, if you are happy, whatever you want to engage on, uh, you know, take on as an assignment or whatever, it, it makes much more better outcome uh, as compared to if you're in an unhappy state. Um, and I think uh, be it education, be it uh, your industry experience uh, or your, you know, whatever roles you're going to play in the future, if if you find that you are happy most of the times, your efficiency is better, your productivity is better, you are achieve, you're able to achieve much better outcomes. Uh, at times you might achieve not really what you're expecting, but certainly it makes the process of achieving or fulfilling a particular task far more easier. And looking at the current kids and looking at the enormous mess of social media around them, you can bet unless really they learn themselves how to be happy, um, how to be satisfied, uh, is always, you can't really live on oxygen provided by the likes of mm -hmm. the social media or by the compliments you receive for just posting a photo yesterday. It is going to be really, whether the child is going to be happy in his own right, and they need to continue to be happy, regardless of what solutions, mm -hmm. uh, situations they get into. Yeah, you're teaching them almost to, to find happiness from within, not from without. 
like you say, for example, the likes of social media. And fortunately, I grew up in a generation where we weren't surrounded by social media at that age. And I imagine if you were in your teens now, you're very sensitive to what other people think of you, parents, friends, society, and so on. So you're teaching them almost this resilience from within. How does that manifest in smart education? How do you teach those skills? Often when they may be a little bit intangible, how do you teach, for example, that somebody can rely on themselves or be adaptable? Skills which sometimes you may say don't find themselves in textbooks or they may be more experiential. Is there a philosophy behind this with smart? How do you teach that? So um, basically, if you look at smart learning or smart teaching, I think it, if you really decipher that, and we did a lot of research with the universities who normally take in these kits, and we try to figure out what is going on, um, we we realize that under that smart learning aspect, it's it's the overall personality that is extremely important. And by realizing that, we decided to, you know, carve out areas of the personality which need to be worked upon. Um, you know, I'm speaking so much. Uh, when I was 18, 20 years old, I used to speak like just two sentences. I couldn't express myself. I couldn't speak. So what I did is I somebody said, you know, let's go to a public speaking class. And we went to some place and you know, the prof was teaching us, you know, this is how you say it, this is how you do it. We had street fright. And then we realized that that experience of mine really had, you know, me thinking that there are many children like this. You know, the other day I, I met a CEO of a very large organization from Singapore and he was hardly speaking anything. But I said, you know, hey, mate, you know, what's wrong? Uh, and, and he said, no, nothing. I just speak when I want to. Personality is now becoming the in thing. How do you shape up a personality? Mm. Whether be it the part of creativity side, the public speaking side, uh, the overall, uh, you know, sports angle to your personality. Uh, of course, academics plays an important role. Everybody goes by the grades. But then are you engaged with the community? Are you engaged with the, you know, sort of social upliftment or, you know, sort of uh, CSR angles that are there? Because university has told us that we need, we need all these kind of one good feather in any of these areas will make the tick, tick mark for me. Because they want people who have, assuming that they have good scores in the subjects areas, but somebody who has done something which is remarkably different, that is where the universities have a sweet spot for. Mm. And that's what we decided to then, we said, how do you do that? So we created a nine gems model. Uh, we carved out the various nine aspects of holistic learning. And then we said, look, we want to measure them. So initially the response was, are you crazy? Are you, how are you going to learn? How are you going to measure leadership for a child? How are you going to measure um for example, community service that a child is doing, not by ours, but by the quality of service. We said, look, we'll figure out ways. So we have created something which is very unique. The nine gems model is age appropriate. So for each age, there are certain deliverables. And all the nine aspects, they evolve from that age of three into for the age of 18. And this transformation process in their life is really guided by a very structured mechanism. Mm. So as a result, most of the students who are at GIS, they are far more fully blossomed. Uh, they are far more fully aware. Uh, and I was not surprised when one of the professors of a local university here, he actually made this comment at a public forum in our schools. And he said, you know, when I see so many students, there are some students who really stand out for their contribution, ideation, uh, application of knowledge. 
And he said, I can tell you that there's some students who are in my batch and I can see that they're very clearly different. And, and it's all to do with how the school has really taken them on uh, through their life cycle. And I think they, he complimented that these students were from GIS. Mm. And I'm sure other schools do equally good to develop every aspect of it. But we allow that pace, flexibility, uh, I would say the DNA configuration of how a child needs to evolve. Everybody cannot be a cookie cutter approach. And I think this is a smart learning that we talk about is really putting the whole personality together, making sure that he or she is able to do everything in every area, but also do something good in very, very specific areas. And I think that makes a big difference. And that automatically causes happiness uh, as they realize the, the success that they achieve in each of those areas. I was talking to a friend who heads up the global training for Bloomberg and he was saying the the challenge that they have now is that they need leaders but leadership's not a job title and until now schools haven't taught leadership so leadership has been this skill which they want of their people but they don't know how to train it either so you were saying I'm curious like you can teach leadership to students here, how do you do that for somebody so young who hasn't led teams of people, who hasn't been out in the wild and experienced sometimes the brutal aspect of the real world? How do you teach leadership and what age does that start? Um, so we teach leadership right from grade one onwards. Uh, and I think there are two aspects to it. The leadership is one aspect. The other aspect is the entrepreneurship boot camps that we do, which is really, you know, to give them an exposure and immersion into what an entrepreneurship might sound like. But let's come to leadership. So I think leadership traditionally has been thought as, you know, a person who is in a position of power, uh, money, and, you know, privileges, and all they have to do is just tell people, you know, do this, do that the whole day. But I think that's changing. Today's leader is a troubleshooter in the first place. Today's leader is a person who understands uh, much better than what his his or her colleagues can understand what's going on. So it's the observation aspect of it. It's the uh, understanding, the sharper understanding of the situation. And and when we say to be able to troubleshoot, we're really saying is that, that he or she is able to uh, find out the most optimal solutions that you need to create. Mm. So if you really ask at the CEO level or even top leaders, they're very aloof, they're very single, lonely in their lives. You know, I'm talking about professional lives, but all they're dealing with data and how do you respond to strategies on data? How do you look at outcomes? So many times it is very confusing. And unless you really have, you understand that leadership is not about privileges and power. It is about finding solutions in areas where there are no standard solutions exist. If I, if I know my car is low on fuel, I know where to go and pump fuel. That's not leadership. Leadership is about creating, going into uncharted territories, mm. going into unsolicited areas, uh, going and finding solutions to benefits that can be created or solutions can be created to solve certain problems. And I think leadership really stretches from the organizations to the social space in a very good way. And and the wide it is, uh, everybody who's being taught about leadership is being able to understand this. We, we create sessions for them. We create opportunities. For example, one of the things we have done 
is to create quality circles. Now that's the best way to troubleshoot, right? So quality circles, right from grade one onwards, which is age five onwards, they create, and they're given real life problems. They're giving day-to-day problems. Is a issue of litter, issue of clean or unclean toilets, issue of transport, issue of uh, whether my, uh, you know, uh, school bag is heavy or not heavy. So they're given really, you know, trivial kind of, challenges or problems and depending on the age and then they start going into uh, finding solutions which are finding problems which are not really existing uh, in a standard domain but you got to go and figure it out uh, and and the students engagement through uh, their school lives through their personal lives uh, with the social community and as well as uh, industrial part of it they are able to understand that look, leadership is all about putting these things rightly in place and to help people to be a catalyst. So mm. it's the old definitions of management really are toned down. It's now all boiling down to, hey, I've got this problem. Can you give me a solution? Mm. Or sometimes leadership is not about, I'm a doctor and you are a patient types. It's it's like, let's find a solution together. Mm. Let's think about it. You know, how, what, what other options can we put in? So a lot of lateral thinking is required, a lot of um, space of creativity, you know, ideation, etc. And you need to, while you work with your students, with your uh, colleagues and uh, team members, you need to also see that we need to move together. So that togetherness, collaborative aspect of it is also very much required to be created by a leader. Mm. So team dynamics really helps these kids to really experience and gain some sort of understanding of how things are. These are the qualities that, businesses need today. I mean, if you look how these companies are reorganizing themselves, gone are the days of the traditional departments and you would know well working in IBM with very much traditional structure, even though it was an IT company. Today we have these companies which are radically reorganizing them. They call them like small cross-functional teams where these sound like your quality circles where you'd have four or five people, one from procurement, one from IT, all different disciplines come together, there would be no quote unquote boss. Everybody's a leader. And the problem may be like, how do we put this on our website? Or how do we fix this problem with our server? Whatever it may be, it's a problem you have to understand and you have to fix it. You don't wait till you're told by your boss to fix it. Those are the kind of people we need today because that's how businesses are operating. And it sounds like your quality circles seem to be training people to do that. So I wonder if that was a deliberate by design inspired by your experiences in business or something that's evolved here by by nature. Um, so we certainly wanted to do something on leadership uh, and uh, the byproduct of our journey of education excellence, which is to benchmark against some of the best models of excellence available from around the world. So the quality circles really started standing out at a teacher level. And we said, why don't we now take it down to the age five level, you know, something where they can start thinking that I'm working in a team, I'm trying to solve a problem, uh, you know, understand the concepts of fishbone diagram, etc., and then be able to take that into from a smaller, simpler problems to more complex ones. Mm. And I think you are right because most of the the best innovative companies are not the largest ones. They're so structured uh, that it's impossible to kind of do a deviation because see, it will be seeming as a business risk. Whereas if you took a look at even some of the new companies that are emerging, um, I would, I would refrain from getting into the names of these companies, but they are excellent. They are very good in reacting to the needs of the 
consumer. They are extremely fast. They are able to come up with great solutions. For example, um, a few weeks back, I was in Cambodia and there was a discussion going on uh, between the transport minister of Cambodia who felt that there was a lot of people who were taking boats uh, from to go from one place to other, just ferrying around. And uh, he said, you know, can I have a solution like Grab has where I can book an app and I can just pick up the next boat coming in and so the boat traffic can be moderated and this. And the Grab CEO was as, as well there. And we were having a conversation. I mean, this is, if a Grab can quickly change tomorrow to create yeah. a boat solution, probably they'll be the first in the world to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think these are these are type of responsive agility, flexibility, and you know, great thinking that we need to have in individuals, in people, in leaders, in organizations, because they will shape how their organizations really you know, want to change. Inspiring. What are your hopes for this podcast at all? What sort of conversations would you like to happen here to have about education, students, teachers, partners what's your vision for this so i think uh, i i see a great deal of uh, the benefit uh, in trying to have uh, you know so all our stakeholders we've got many stakeholders like some of you you mentioned plus community is a biggest stakeholder for us uh, so we we would like to uh, the, have the podcast to really be able to answer many of the unanswered questions mm. of the parents, of the students and teachers. You know, how do I really, uh, if they have a solution, I mean, if every podcast which is being picked up on certain uh, discussions, uh, and, and I, I know that students are having regular podcasts with, with various visitors who come to visit the campus. Idea is to really, you know, get the the understanding of what your child needs to go through uh, and, and, and how a a student or a parent uh, can get most of their questions answered, be it on their respect to their child, be it in respect of learning uh, benefits or no benefits. I think the whole idea of a podcast is to really have an informal session and to be able to answer those questions. And we would love parents to write to us and so that we can really answer those questions that they are asking their teachers and they're asking their parents mm. and students as well. I mean, students are asking a whole lot of questions to their parents uh, and there are a lot of very interesting topics always they would like to talk about, but they refrain from going to talk to their parents and they, they feel a bit more awkward to talk about it. But they may talk to their peers. So I think we want to get all our stakeholders excited about how do we use these platforms to have more conversations, easier for our children to understand, uh, and, and more students can be able to relate to that mm. so that when they go through their journey of education and learning, they are able to you know, make maximize it. Yeah. And this is a part of the education for them as well, isn't it? You're teaching them effectively that they're stakeholders in the process. So when they go into the world of work, they don't see it as observers. They're participants. They're not waiting for somebody to tell them, this is the answer. They are actually actively out there with the questions, which I think are the qualities we need, isn't it? So this is a key part of their whole education process. When they go into a department, they don't see the boss as the boss, but somebody who may have answers, who may have resources to support them in finding answers as well. So I'm really inspired by what you're doing here. And I think it takes uh, a bit of bravery to do this. You know, you have to pioneer, not Thank always you. easy. So and I think you are somebody who's very much passionate about learning as well. And that sometimes means putting yourself out there 
a little bit out of your comfort zone as well. But that's how we learn, isn't it? What about yourself? What is it that you want to learn out of this process? Because I imagine being in this environment, the learning never stops. And maybe when it does stop, it maybe is time to move on, isn't it? But it seems like there's always a new challenge. There's always something new to learn. In your journey from here on, as an educator, if I may use that word, what is it you're looking to learn? So I think, um, as as you said, we learn every day. Um, no day goes without you know learning something new. But I think in our in our journey, what we would like to do is to really understand communities across the world how they want to address the aspect of learning. Um, how do we? Uh, how are we able to satisfy this community of? Uh, you know, constantly changing expectations, uh, changing environments, uh, changing atmosphere of your country, uh, trade relations, everything is like in a flux. Mm. Everything is changing. So what we would really love to do is really work with these communities from Japan to Middle East to, you know, Europe and US to, to be able to be a partner and a reliable partner in their journey of their students uh, and to be able to therefore by reliability what I mean is a credible partner who can understand and is able to create solutions for uh, you know taking their children's journey from one step to the other and it's the ability for us to constantly learn from these communities uh, sometimes uh, we learn from them sometimes they learn from us but I think it's a constant collaborative approach with the community uh, that we would like to continuously keep engaged with because we believe that um, it's uh, education is not just about learning or teaching it's about building a nation and it's building communities you know global leadership uh, global citizens across the world so it's it's all going to be extremely important in how educators are going to be seen doing things in the future Co-founder and executive chairman at Global Schools Foundation, Atul Tamernikar. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You've been listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIIS. To learn more about GIIS, our community, and our latest thinking, visit us at www.globalindianschool.com dot org or find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.